This is Richard Patino, head men's basketball coach of the Mexico Lobos. This is episode 63 of the Talking Grammar podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Talking Grammar podcast here at the Albuquerque Journal. And as you just heard, this is episode 63, kind of a relaunch of the Talking Grammar podcast. This is now part of a larger um, effort, larger product that the Albuquerque Journal is doing in what is going to be known as the Albuquerque Journal Podcast Network. We thought we uh, would kind of get the relaunch going with one of the the biggest names of what I normally cover, which is Lobo Basketball, and that's Richard Pitino. So as you heard, uh, Richard Pitino joins us on this episode. We covered a lot of ground. In fact, we we decided to go ahead and break up the interview that we did, that we recorded into, into two episodes. So this will be episode 63. Richard Pitino is going to, in this episode, talk about kind of his offseason, what he did, what his family did, uh, some of the players on last year's team that have moved on, what he kind of has to do to replace those players, and and uh, sort of the buildup up until the 2023-24 season, which is going to get started. Actually, official practices start later this month in September. And then we have a next episode, which is going to be next Tuesday. This podcast is going to drop every Tuesday, the Talking Grammar podcast. And uh, next episode is going to be a little more focused on this year's team. We went player by player, walk-ons through preseason all-conference picks, Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr., we went player by player and got the coach's take on every single one of them, what he can expect, what you as fans can expect from this coming season. So hope you enjoy this uh, conversation I had with Richard Patino. Hope you enjoy all these conversations that we're going to be having every Tuesday on the Talking Grammar podcast now that we're back. And uh, let me know what you think about this conversation and all future ones, show ideas, questions you might have for guests. Let me know. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, for now... Enjoy this conversation with Richard Pitino. The best selection of used cars is at GarciaCars.com. All right, Coach Pitino, thank you for joining me here on the Talking Grammar podcast and for coming down to the Albuquerque Journal and uh, taking a look at our, our new studio here. What do you think? I tell you what, it was pretty cool. Got the tour, got to see uh, some of the archives, um, and it's a beautiful campus. And uh, I know you guys are doing some new things to it, so it's fun to see. Some of the new things we're doing is stuff like this. We're actually got some video going. We got some the uh, relaunch of this podcast. So I'm I'm glad you're uh, you agreed to be a part of this. Um, obviously, what what we're here to talk about is primarily Lobo basketball. But before we even do some of that stuff, I, I wanted the listeners, um, journal readers that are, are following, to kind of uh, maybe play a little catch up with what you've been doing this off season, um, maybe off the court a little bit. Uh, Personally, family made some trips. What do you think? What's uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, we've um, we've traveled a, a decent amount. I think when you you live out west, um, I try hard to see other places that maybe I'm not used to going to. Um, so we've we've certainly uh, bounced around there. We went Fourth of July. We spent a couple of days in New York. Uh, visited my family and some siblings came along with their kids. We did a end of or beginning of August, kind of end of summer, everybody, uh, 15 kids, 25 people, uh, rented a couple of houses in Sea Island, Georgia. It was amazing. Very hot, but amazing. Um, and then obviously when you have eight weeks of summer school, um, you're here a lot of the time as well. And, and the schedule recruiting wise got pretty clunky. Um, so it's hard to kind of get into rhythm. Uh, which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining necessarily, but um, we've had opportunities. My daughter goes to a sleepaway camp in um, North Carolina that I dropped her off to. 
um, you know, so bounce around a little bit mm-hmm. and continue to kind of settle in here. Taking any sporting events, any Yankee games this summer? I did. I did. I went you to Yankees, right? uh, Orioles. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're just a lifeless team. Um, <laughs> it's just weird to see. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's, it's not been fun. We had a blast at that Yankee game. Um, but it's it's a team that they gonna have to they're gonna have to decide what they want to do um, because right now it seems a little bit rudderless. Have you always been Yankee fan? Yeah, I've always been Yankee. So my my father and my uncle, my uncle Bill, who we lost in nine eleven, and my father were best friends growing up. when I was growing up, and so we would always go family vacations with their family, who were all close with the cousins, and we always would go to New York. Uh, although I don't really consider myself a New Yorker, people always think I am. Uh, I'm more of a Bostonian. Okay. And what's crazy is because all my friends are Red Sox and Patriots and Celtics and Bruins, and I'm not that. Um, so it's, 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 I just have grown up with Yankees and Giants and uh, always been a fan of those. What bigger fan of which one? Yankees or Giants? Yankees. Yankees. Uh, I mean, I, the Yankees, there's something sentimental about the Yankees, whether it's my uncle who I was very close with as well as my father, um, that I've always loved the Yankees. I've, I'm not, I mean, I'm 41 or 40, going to be 41 soon, but like when I was really starting to love sports, that was Jeter, that was Posada, that was Mariano Rivera. Hate them all. Just, yeah, for I you as a all. Twins guy. Yeah. Um, and it's just those teams, and, and they weren't like the big bad Yankees, those guys. There were some on the team that were, but I just loved the way they handled themselves. They were all about winning. I mean, my dog was named Bernie or Bernie after Bernie Williams. Um, so I loved it. And, uh, but I, I do love the Giants as well. Um, you know, we're, we're family friends with the Mara family, okay. uh, which is kind of crazy. The, the daughters who went on to be actresses, I kind of grew up hanging out with, and um, – their older brother, uh, Danny, was one of my good friends. And so the the father, Chris Mara, is very close with my dad. Um, so we know them well, and so we root for the Giants as well. Do you have a favorite Giants player growing up? I loved, I mean, obviously Lawrence Taylor's amazing, um, but I, I really grew to like Eli Manning. Okay. You know, I mean, he's kind of later in my life for sure, uh, but I think Eli's awesome, and I think he's – He's always been likable, but now I love what he's doing on TV and stuff. I mean, he's amazing with it. He's good at stuff like podcasts and stuff yeah. like that. Um, every bit, in in all honesty, as funny as Peyton, but Peyton is a little more out there. Eli's so dry and so even more dry than Peyton, and uh, I I think they're both pretty. They're pretty both funny. hilarious. Yeah, yeah it's been great to see. Obviously, basketball is what a lot of people are tuning in to uh, to talk about. So you had a big offseason basketball-wise, obviously. I want to kind of start at the end of last season. Um, a loss in the NIT, first postseason of any kind in a decade or since 2014, anyway, uh, for the program. I, I am curious, with a little bit of time between now and then, if you look back on that NIT game, the NIT loss, or just the end of the season, with with any different thoughts than at the time maybe you, you were looking at it as? Um, you know, if I had to give a, a letter grade, uh, I, I'd probably give it an A minus, B plus. And the reason why... For is, the season as a whole? Yeah, as a whole. I, I think not that... And I think what's hard for fans is... And, and nobody made me become a basketball coach, so I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me, but only 19% of our game makes the NCAA tournament. Now, it's a captivating event. Um, everybody wants to be a part of it, changes lives and obviously brings so much exposure, but 
you look at football, we're about 60-something percent make bowl games and they celebrate them. Um, and that's just the narrative of our sport. Now, the reason why I'd give it probably an A minus B plus is because of the situation that we inherited. And that's not a knock on Paul Weir, the staff or whatever, but there were a lot of factors that, you know, we recruited two all-conference players off of Zooms. Two of some of the better guards in the country never saw this place. And I was excited about what we were able to do, whether it was the 34% increase in fans, uh, whether it was several crowds of over 15,000. I never really looked at it as wins and losses, honestly. I just didn't think this was going to be a two-year plan. Uh, we were darn close to making the NCAA tournament. Um, we were two buzzer beaters away. I yeah, mean, that's I, how close we were. In hindsight, I do think fans may forget um, down the road a little bit. It's either you make it or you don't, and I get that. But um, you guys really were maybe one or two games away um, between those those losses, but also then two bad losses late in the year without your starting point guard. But uh, you, you guys were a lot closer than I think maybe people may remember that yeah. season. Yeah, and, and that's just part of it. And again, I, I just think it's um, – the tournament is so great. Everybody just wants to be a part of it. But if you look at – I'm trying to think. I've been a head coach for 11 years. I've probably lost at the buzzer where we were winning. Shot goes in, we yeah. lost maybe once. And then last year we did it twice in our building. Um, ball, that, ball in the air with the lead. Ball in the air with the lead. And again, like we could have played better defense. I mean, I'm not yeah. trying to absolve us of we didn't do it. We were perfect, but that means we're close. And to be as close as we were in year two, we had to get we had to get the train back on the tracks um, because the brand was was dying a little bit. And I feel like the brand is back. I feel like now it's not going to be easy. I mean, our conference is brutal and, and certainly our schedule that hopefully we'll ever finish will be challenging as well. But I feel like now we can go kind of coach the team a little bit. Um, but I thought just getting the fans back, the enthusiasm back locally as well as nationally was huge for the development of our program. Some context on, on the, the rebuild that has gone on here, obviously 2020-21 season, uh, Paul Weir's last year, that was the COVID year in the state of New Mexico. The team had to play every game outside of the state, as as a lot of people um, know, maybe some new listeners that maybe have followed you to, to Lobo basketball aren't as aware of that. That was a six-win team, but only four of those wins were against Division One opponents. I mean, even two of those six wins were were against teams that would would have been by games or exhibitions in, in most years. Uh, you guys go 13-19 and 19 in your first season. You guys go 22-12 and 12 last year. And, and the NIT, while it wasn't the NCAA tournament, it was the first postseason of any kind since 2014. So, yeah, you mentioned the 34% jump in attendance as well. Obviously, the expectations with all of that, though, rise. A 14-0 start, they rose probably quicker than maybe ideally they would should have um, last year. But uh, at the same time, you guys did go 14-0. And this is a place that you say you came to because – the fans care. And when the fans care, the expectations rise, which is sort of where we're at going into year three now. Yeah. And, and you could probably flip it quicker because of the transfer portal right. um, than when in the past, for sure. And I think a lot of coaches are wrestling with what to do there because the coaches that are building with freshmen, it's not working. I'm sorry. I, I wish it was, uh, but it's not working. So um, as I said before, like when I moved here, we had two months where we couldn't go recruiting. We, we weren't allowed. So we added eight players off of Zooms. I've talked about it before. 
and we hit on some of them. Obviously, we had two all-conference players, but um, I'm just I'm so excited. And people, you hear people in the community sometimes they come up to you, and that's why I moved here. It's because people care, but they 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 act as if we fell off. I don't look at it like that at all. Um, to start 14 and 0 to be the last team out of 360 something teams to be undefeated is. That's a major feather in the cap of a team that's rebuilding. The, the quick turn that some fans sometimes do of something so good that hasn't been done here, it well, hasn't, wasn't done anywhere else in the country, obviously, through 14 games, but the quick way to turn that into a negative somehow is, is a really weird thing that fan bases do. Sometimes your own fan base, but obviously rival fans like to eat that up too. And if you go 14-0 and then you lose a couple games, it, it must be because something's wrong. As opposed to you guys just really played good for 14 games. Yeah, I mean we were we were able to beat an Iona team who was terrific. We were able to beat a St. Mary's team on the road, which is really really good. Um, you know we had a lot of home games, right? Yep. But you know it's not easy to win. Uh, I thought we played some sneaky tough games and on that schedule. So I, I don't know. I, I for me I don't necessarily worry about what fans think. I love the fact that fans care because. If they don't care, you have more problems than fans caring and being yeah. mad about something. Um, but it's just important for the people internally to know what the situation is and where we're going. And we're, and we're obviously very, very confident about the direction of this thing. Well, the direction of this thing brings us to the immediate, which is this coming season and the schedule. You kind of already referenced it. I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, like, are you guys going to have a schedule this year? You think you'll ever release it? I, I think every other team in the country's released it. That's not entirely true, but a lot of them have released their schedule yet. What, what's, what's the challenge? What's the, what's the holdup? Um, how hard is it to make a schedule for UNM basketball this year as opposed to when you got here just two years ago? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of teams in our league are dealing with it. I don't know how many teams are done out of the eleven. Um, I think more not than you would think. I think that. For us, when I got here, our net was 303. That meant if you beat us, it meant nothing. It um, didn't help your postseason chances. It doesn't at all. help anything because when you're putting together a schedule, you're trying, it always depends on the team, right? But in my mind, I am thinking about how do I put together a schedule that, win, that makes the NCAA tournament? It puts you in position to make the NCAA tournament, let's say like that. Like last year's schedule was that. You know, we, we were probably. Two wins, I would say, for making the NCAA tournament. So it wasn't like we didn't have enough opportunities. We did. You then want to have your fan base, fan base be engaged with some cool home games. We've struggled to find those. Um, we have called almost everybody to start home and homes. Uh, whether it's that we got some guards back, whether it's that we had a decent year, whether it's that our fans are back, I don't really know what the specific reason is, um, but... I can promise Lobo fans that I want them engaged November and December because a lot of college basketball is not. And I just look at that Iona crowd. Um, I look at some of the other ones, and I say, like, we've got to continue to capture this community because it is – it's a rare one. Like, our fans certainly love all Lobo sports. They, you know, football's coming up. Uh, I think they love the Lobos. But – we're a place where the community really loves college basketball. So um, I don't want to wait until conference play. Uh, I think we're getting closer and closer. I don't think there's anything to announce today. Um, but hopefully by the next 
week or two, that'll come to a close and we can put a bow on it. And uh, like I said, keep our fans engaged, put us in a position where we have opportunities to go get some quad ones and quad two wins. The bow I'll put on this topic is you do have the New Mexico State game scheduled again. Obviously, that was a big miss last year for for circumstances beyond any control that, that UNM's basketball team had. Uh, getting that rivalry back, I know it's a home-and-home, and, home and it's a unique home-and-home. Home. Coaches traditionally, I'll put you on the spot, traditionally coaches haven't really cared for the fact that there's two games in the non-conference against a, a rival like that out of you know out of their league play, obviously. I'm curious... Um, you know, your thoughts on getting the New Mexico State game back and, and the fact that it is a home-and-home and, home and kind of how that sometimes makes the scheduling uh, difficult for you. Yeah, I think that that was a hard part, and, and I'm not blaming anybody. I think both administrations needed to figure out. I mean, that was obviously a traumatic experience last year with what happened, so we needed to have it right to resume it, but I, I don't remember the exact date, but it took a while to solidify that we were actually going to play that that made, you know, when you're playing a true road game, you know, you don't know if you're playing it or not. You've got to kind of be patient to see how you're going to build out your schedule. Um, I don't love the home-and-home home deal. I really don't. I, now, I love what it does for both universities and both yep. athletic departments. Like, I, I totally understand that. Um, but I don't see why it can't just be once a year like every other program in the country. Yep. Uh, but – you know, it's it's not that I don't like playing them. Um, it's not that I've had two experiences where, besides the lights going out at New Mexico State, like I thought both games were, were great for both fan bases. So um, it makes it certainly tricky um, to do it, but it's not insurmountable by any means. Who's your favorite uh, New Mexico State graduate or, or who's your favorite Aggie? I mean, oh, um, it's Brandon Mason. Did he go there? Uh, well, my son plays for his uh, AU program, yeah. so yeah. I'm trying wrong, to think of who that's else the wrong, went there. That's the wrong answer on this podcast. Yeah. Marvin uh, Pascal Siakam, did he graduate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I can give you that. All right. Um, schedule, I'll, I'll uh, move on from the schedule a little bit. I'll move on from asking you about your favorite Aggies. But uh, let's dive into players. I know normally when I talk with you, I'm not going to go name by name, but uh, in the off season, especially in an off season with so many new faces and a transfer portal world, I, I do want to kind of go through all the players on the roster right now, something you can tell fans about um, each player. I want to start though, by talking about kind of some of the guys you left or that you guys lost off of last year's team. Morris Daisy, obviously playing professionally now. Um, I, I wanted to start with Mo because did you have any idea that he would be as impactful when you recruited him for a one-year transfer last year out of Wichita State, did you have any idea that Mo would be what he became as a Lobo? Um, no, I did. I I thought he'd be a good player. Um, and you I, needed a big man. And, yeah, and and the role that we wanted him in, certainly we delivered on that. I don't want to say promise, but that's what we envisioned, and it, it was it was really a perfect marriage. Um, we constantly talked to all of our players about increasing their value because this is kind of a one-year contract type situation for all of us um, in this transfer portal world. And so we got him, and I felt as though from when he arrived on our campus to when he left, he increased his value. And uh, he went on to play professionally. He absolutely loved his time here. Um, he was a phenomenal leader. Uh, you know, I, he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, you have a short list, uh, and you, you love them all in different ways. 
Uh, but Mo is certainly on that list of guys that just a terrific person who I truly, truly appreciate. Some of the other guys that left, and then I'll take a kind of a, a wider macro as to w- how you replace them. Um, Josiah Alec obviously was one that I think surprised a lot of uh, fans, certainly. I don't know at the time when he made his announcement. I don't know how surprised at that point you were. I think you guys kind of maybe at that point knew it was coming before, certainly before the fans did. Javante Johnson, two years fully starting. He had started some games as a freshman too, but so I really consider him having been a three-year starter. Uh, K.J. Jenkins, those guys moved on. Um, Emmanuel Quach just couldn't get healthy, yeah. and, and I feel bad for him. Brima Sek, a guy who who didn't quite come on as maybe as, as he had hoped, and kind of the, the macro or specifically about any of them, um, replacing that many players has got to be tough and still fairly new, but uh, how do you replace that group of players? Well, everybody's dealing with it, and I think fans have gotten so programmed to get outraged in the spring when people transfer. And this is the new world. Everyone um, asks, well, it's wrong. Yeah, well, what, what happened? What, uh, another not, transfer? That's nothing three? happened. That's four? So I believe you named five guys. Yeah. So Eman certainly just wanted to go somewhere and play, and yeah. I think he saw the roster. Health-wise, he wasn't uh, probably He wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. Um, when he was healthy, he certainly played a little bit. Um, KJ was someone who I loved coaching and encouraged him to move on. Uh, because he wanted an increased role. He wanted to start. I couldn't start three guards. He knew Mash and House certainly were going to do that. We, we've we talked over and over again about, about getting uh, bigger. Uh, Barima was another one that I encouraged. And none of them I ran off. Like They were all welcome to come back right. because they were great kids, and, and they worked hard, and they brought value to our program. But uh, Barima was another one. I said, Barima, I, I don't know how much you're going to play, and I would hate for you to come here again and be unhappy. Uh, the two that were certainly different than those three conversations were Josiah and Javante. I didn't agree with their decision. Now, both would have been playing. I Starting, you don't know. But yeah, I mean, you don't know about that. But but they both wanted something different. And this has become more prevalent now than ever. They wanted more offense. They wanted more shots. And I think they saw two high-volume guys in MASH and House and they just didn't know how it would be a little bit different. Um, I wasn't bitter towards them. I, I look at Josiah. Josiah goes from, and you talk again about, did you increase your value? Josiah comes here and has a really good year, really good experience, helped us go to an NIT, did a lot of amazing things, worked his butt off, was a great kid, just wanted a little more somewhere else, and he goes to the Big Ten. Um, you know, Javante. I think, wanted a different role. So none of it was contentious. None of it was, I think this is going to become more and more uh, the way of the world. Sure. What I think people need to understand, it's just like a coach leaving. It's the same thing. Everyone gets mad. Now, the difference is when a transfer leaves, they normally get mad at the coach. They don't normally get mad at the players. Um, but if I were to leave, they'd be mad at me for a couple of days. Once they hire the new coach, they move on from me. That, that's the reality of this thing. And there's so many good players that are in this portal um, that you can't panic anymore and you can't freak out. Uh, I I really do truly wish them all the best. I talk to all of them all the time still. And, uh, you know, like Bareem and I were texting the other day, KJ. Um, so I'm, I'm rooting for them all. Um, you know, and it's it's we've replaced them with some really good players as well. I'm going to talk about some of those new players here in just a second. Um, as far as the ones going out the door, though, I'm curious if you – you have to evolve with the sport. You don't get to pick transfer portal rules or not. Like it is the new norm. 
are you are you comfortable with how you guys have attacked it where essentially the rebuild happened because you got a couple guards like Jalen House, Jamal Mashburn Jr. who were transfers. I, I would say, you, and well, you guys were one of 13 teams that Jeff Borzello on ESPN picked as the winners in this year's transfer market. You guys were the only non-power conference team, by the way. Um, Gonzaga, I, I suppose, is not a power conference school, but they're certainly a powerhouse um, national title contender. So you guys were really the only the outlier in this group of 13 teams that ESPN selected as the winners in this year's transfer portal market. So because of that, because you guys seem to have embraced it and done it so well, does that mean you, does Richard Pitino like this current era of the transfer portal? No, God, no, I don't like <laughs> it. Um, you know, I see on Twitter, and you're a major culprit of being annoying about it, is that... I don't go on Twitter anymore. <laughs> ...is that coaches can do whatever they want. That is so not true. Now, I think they deserve a one-time transfer. I, I do. I think, I think that's good. And I don't think it's always a bad thing. The problem that I don't like about it is the um, the uncertainty of waivers and grad transfers. I, I don't like that. You know, I, I think I think if they want to transfer one time, I got no problem with it. But people talk NIL and they talk transfer portal. I think the portal has way more rocked our profession than maybe um, NIL. I'm old school. Um there's been plenty of moves I've had where I hated it at first. Uh, not here. I love it here. It's the greatest Every place did. ever. But there's times where I remember when I went to Florida, um, University of Florida, man, that first year was hard. And I had just left Louisville. We had gone to two Elite Eights. I mean, I'm with my family, friends. Loved it. And I go to Florida, and I don't know anybody. And, man, it was hard. And uh, if I wasn't more patient, maybe I would have left. And I stuck it out. And it was the greatest decision I ever made. Uh, year two, I gained more confidence. Uh, Coach Donovan helped me get the Minnesota job. Coach Donovan helped me get the Florida job. That relationship has changed my life. So it's not that I don't think, like, like if a coach gets fired, they should be able to go. Um, if there's circumstances, I understand it. So um, I like the one-time transfer. I just don't like the other layers of all these waivers and all these other. It's just become so complex where I do think they are in their formative years of their lives, there is something to be said for sticking it out, but there's also times where it is better for them to go. So adapt or die. I was watching Moneyball last night. I love that movie, and I'm watching with Jill, and um, Billy Bean says that, and I, and I agree with that. So um, I just think there's, there's so much instability. I don't want to say it's necessarily that I hate the transfer portal. It just, I think it's driving everybody mad because nobody knows where this is going. I, I know you said the one-time transfer. I I don't want to put words in your mouth. Graduate transfer, though, still okay, too, with you? Yeah, the, in a the hard part is none of these guys are doing it because of school. They're yeah. not. And, and I know that coaches are always labeled the bad guys, and we make all the money, and we're using these kids. I think the majority of college coaches really loved when players graduated. Uh, you saw them mature and uh, get older and grow. And it was about going to class and it was about, it's not about that anymore. Um, so, I mean, like I've benefited from it. Yeah. Morris U. Daisy was one of the best grad transfers in the country. Um, House and Mash, some of the best transfers in the country. Um, so, and the thing, the difference is when I first got into this profession, when you transferred, there was red flags. What's wrong with him? Is he selfish? Right. Is he a bad kid? Is he have off the court issues? 
Every transfer I've taken here has been phenomenal kids. So I just don't love the fact that in 20 years, a lot of these kids, are they're not going to know where they graduated from and where the— Not going to know what hat to put on. Yeah, no reunion. I mean, they're they're all over the place, Uh, but kind of the way of the world. I know that two players in particular that benefited in in my estimation um, more. If you want to look at why I think transfers can be good, um, especially if even if you've been at a school forever, two of them happen to be friends from Houston, Morrissey Daisy and Jabari Rice. Um, in Jabari Rice's case, he was four years at New Mexico State. They had a coaching change. He goes to Texas and he's now playing with the San Antonio Spurs. Morrissey Daisy comes to you guys. In both cases, they were able to showcase on a different level and in a different way something that they hadn't done in four years at their previous schools, and now they're making a lot more money than they would have had they stayed in their spots. And And I think those those are two good examples of, of what the graduate transfer and the transfer portal can do. Now, you tweeted or, or you shared that that tweet was just about a week ago, I think, um, that shows the other side of this. Just because you can transfer doesn't mean you should. And that's the problem. I mean, what was the number? I think it was... It was 48%. Now, I don't, who knows if that number is entirely accurate. Right. But the problem is... See, I think for my profession, the 360-something coaches... And, and the, real quick, the long and short of it is about 500 or so players that entered the transfer portal have not been picked up. Just yes. so people listening understand what we're referencing, it's... It, there's hundreds of players that, that that wanted to transfer and didn't end up in a new school. And I just think we need to tell that story more. And it is not that we all want to hear miserable stories about yeah. it not working out. But guys need to understand. I need Like when I made the decision to come here, I knew there was going to be pros, but there was going to be cons. And I knew when I took the Minnesota job, there was going to be pros, there was going to be so. I think the problem with the transfer stuff is they all feel like almost always it's, I don't like the situation here. I'm going to go find something better. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's always the case. Sometimes the timing is perfect for it. Uh, Jalen House, two years at Arizona State, played a little bit off and on. Comes here, he explodes. The situation was perfect for him. Um, so it's not all bad, but I don't think um, – I just think they need to hear all the stories. And I think as we get a bigger sample size, yeah. we'll be able to hear it a little bit more. But unfortunately, we're hearing over a lot now about guys that thought they could go elsewhere and it's going to be better, and it's not. Um, but, but again, I see both sides of it. I, I'm not saying that I don't see both sides of it. All right, well, look, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation so far with Richard Pertino. It is a two-parter. We're going to split it up a little bit, so there's more to come next Tuesday. Uh, and every Tuesday, Talking Grammar Podcast is going to come out. Next Tuesday, we're going to have the rest of the conversation I had with Richard Pertino. And I, I want, for what we went over so far, it kind of sets up and builds up to what you guys as fans can expect for this coming season. We will go player by player in the next episode um, on this year's roster from walk-ons to the stars. So hope you guys enjoy that. Hope you enjoy all these podcasts that we're going to be doing. Talking Grammar Podcast, for those that have been listening for a while, this was episode 63. Um, We are splitting it up into the two parts, so next week will be episode 64. It'll be a continuation of this conversation with Richard Pitino. But every Tuesday we're going to have these podcast come out. I want you guys to be a part of it. I want you to reach out to me, give me some story ideas, give me some uh, feedback. You can reach out to me on on Twitter. I guess it's known as X now, and that's at Jeff Grammer. And you can also reach out to me 
with show comments here. You can you can subscribe. You can rate. You can email me, ggrammarabqjournal.com. I, I do want to hear from you. I want to know what you guys are liking, what you guys are disliking about the show. So give me some feedback. Um, not only do we have this, we also have a high school football show that's coming out every Wednesday, the Midweek Blitz. Hope you guys are enjoying these extra products that we're, we're starting to bring you from the Albuquerque Journal. Um, the Albuquerque Journal Podcast Network is what we're sort of going to call and brand this kind of new rollout that, that the Talking Grammar Podcast is, is sort of going to be at the forefront of. So hope you guys enjoyed that. To give you a little bit more um, understanding of the Albuquerque Journal's vision about what we're doing and how we're moving forward in this digital age, I'm going to hand it over now to our editor, Patrick Etheridge. Thanks for listening to the Albuquerque Journal Podcast Network. I'm Patrick Etheridge, executive editor of the Albuquerque Journal. Since 1880, the journal has been New Mexico's most trusted news source and the largest daily newspaper in the state. But we're so much more than that. We're a family-owned news company committed to serving our customers across numerous platforms. Sure, we still have a daily newspaper, We've got a number of active social media accounts and a digital news site that's updated 24-7. Our commitment to Albuquerque and all of New Mexico is to bring the news to you. Our podcast network is one more way that we deliver the news to you every day. Whether you read, hear, or watch, we've got you covered. We hope you'll check back often as we have a number of exciting new products rolling out in the near future. Until then, thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And remember, read, hear, watch.